if our compensation model and our reimbursement model are out of line, that's the time to really consider are there changes that need to make. Hello, I'm Dave Gans, MGMA Senior Fellow for Industry Affairs, welcoming you to the Executive Session, a monthly discussion with a healthcare leader on a critical issue of interest to medical practice executives. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Anthony DeMonico, Certified Value Analyst. Anthony is a consultant for the MGMA Medical Practice Consulting Service, as well as Director, Compensation Design and Consulting, VMG Health. Anthony provides consulting services that focus on provider compensation valuation and design services for employed and non-employed providers, assisting clients in the development and design of compensation structures that align provider incentives with the mission, vision, values, and strategic goals of their organization. Additionally, Anthony has authored numerous articles on fair market value and physician compensation methods, and recently presented an MGMA webinar on the topic. Yep, and thank you, David. Again, my name is Anthony DeMonico. I'm a director at VMG Health. Um, My practice really focuses on anything and everything related to physician compensation, including compensation plan design, strategy and operations, as well as valuation services. I've been doing this type of work for a little over 14 years now um, and maybe have a unique career path for a consultant, right? I spent the first half of my career on the health system side between two large health systems in the Minneapolis area, between finance, human resources, and physician contracting. And then, you know, the other half of my career, I've spent working for valuation and strategic advisory firms, starting at Sullivan Cotter and now at VMG Health, where I lead the compensation design and strategic consulting service line. You know, most of my time is spent helping organizations move their compensation models for employed physicians and advanced practice providers from volume to value, bringing in, in a meaningful way, quality, patient experience, and other non-productivity-based metrics consistent with where healthcare is headed. Uh, Last year, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services issued new regulations that expanded the physician self-referral law and also the Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General. And I kickback statute was revised to expand the definition of fair market value in assessing physician services and to make it easier for hospitals and health systems to transition from volume to value-based care. Uh, We could probably spend a long time uh, discussing how the new regulations affect determining fair market value. But in a few words, can you summarize the 2021 changes that are affecting physicians and health systems? Yeah. So the the trick there is in a few words, right, to take, you know, over 600 pages of Stark and, you know, several hundred more of the anti-kickback statute and really boil it down to a few key facts, right? But we'll do our best. You know, one one significant change, and I think by far the biggest change, particularly in Stark, is clarification around and a more complete separation of the so-called big three, fair market value, commercial reasonableness, and the volume or value standard. Under previous iterations of these regulations, right, these three concepts were both, I mean, kind of loosely defined and largely intertwined. Under the new rules, the big three have been separated out and clarified to make it easier for organizations to really wrap their head around these concepts and what they mean. Now, you know, so we've seen new definitions of fair market value, commercial reasonableness, and then the separation of this volume or value standard. And while those things have been 
clarified. And I do think it's easier than ever really to understand kind of what the government is going at here. With all that said, CMS stopped short of doing what some commenters asked, you know, declining to provide some kind of safe harbor or rebuttable presumption that clearly determined what is fair market value, such as a percentile of a given survey, right? Instead, CMS pointed out that really individual facts and circumstances matter, right? That the 90th percentile or more, you know, might be fair market value for one physician with a set of good facts. And, you know, even something as organizations typically view as reasonable or median compensation, you know, might not be fair market value for a particular physician with bad facts. So CMS really declined to provide any sort of hard and fast guidance to organizations, right? And perhaps even more importantly, they called into question a strict reliance on surveys to establish fair market value compensation, right? Really suggesting that surveys are just one piece of the puzzle to determining whether compensation is consistent with fair market value and reasonable. But by far, I think the biggest change and one I, that I think you know, may provide the biggest help and protections to health systems is the introduction of value-based exceptions under Stark and safe harbors under the anti-kickback statute. Now, I will clarify, I'm not a lawyer, right? You do want to talk to, to counsel about the utilization and appropriate utilization of these exceptions and safe harbors, right? But the, the concept is if an organization is using these exceptions and having physicians take on some level of downside risk in, the, in their compensation model for value-based activities, such as quality, patient satisfaction, and, and the like, you know, that organization's physician compensation arrangement you know, may be less subject to some of the rules around fair market value, but would still need to be commercially reasonable and compliant with that volume or value standard. But there's some loosening of the fair market value risk related to compensation arrangements where there's meaningful downside risk. And I do say may here, and I want to be very careful in how I use language, right? Because again, I'm not a lawyer and the legal body you know, I have conversations with both in, internal and external counsel, you know, on a regular basis, right? And it, and they're still kind of deciding how to interpret some of these new regulations, even though they've been in effect for a little over a year now. Um, so really, you know, if an organization wants to start to think about moving into this value-based space, both from a payer contracting and a physician compensation standpoint, in addition to consulting with a, a valuation or strategy group like BMG, you know, it's a very good idea to consult with either your internal or external attorney before just trying to rely on one of these exceptions, just to make sure that you're setting things up in a reasonable way. But the key takeaways are, again, a fair market value, commercial reasonableness, the volume or value standard are now better defined, um, not fully defined, right? So it's still, you know, open to interpretation. And there's new ways for organizations to you know, really start to move the needle on some of these value-based compensation plans that Medicare and other payers are really trying to push. You know, very good comment. I think you did a very good job of summarizing thousand pages of government regulation in a few words. You know, something I'd like to drill down on a little bit more is one of the changes in the regulations that specifically changed the definition of fair market value. And the previous definition stated that physician compensation quote, must be set in advance, consistent with the fair market value and not determined in a manner that takes into account the volume of value referrals or other business generated by the referring physician, close quote. 
The new Stark regulation revises this and states that fair market value, commercial reasonableness, and the volume of our value standard are separate and distinct, which was the big three you talked about. And they must be met to determine compliance to regulation. So organizations need to continue to demonstrate that compensation is not set in a way that accounts for the volume or value referrals or the business generated by, by provider. But CMS basically said that's a separate test and not related specifically to fair market value. Can you get, give our listeners a little bit more explanation in this area? Yeah. So, in, and admittedly, we as valuators don't get asked to do a lot of work with the volume or value standard because, you know, most organizations don't tie compensation directly to, you know, the volume or value of referrals. They pay for these things indirectly through RVU-based compensation models, right? Productivity models that, you know, 80 some percent of large health systems are using today in their compensation plan. A few years back, there was a court challenge um, involving UPMC that was a, you know, was a challenge to RVU-based compensation models. And it had the industry concerned that, you know, based on some interpretation of, of one of the outcomes of that case was, is the RVU-based compensation plan, is that, you know, is that legal, right? Can we still do that? Or is that a violation of the volume or value standard? Fortunately, you know, the, the outcome of that case alleviated some of those concerns, right? And in this latest iteration of Stark in particular, right, CMS clarified that compensation models that only those models that directly ties referrals into the compensation plan are those that they're targeting here. RVU-based plans that most organizations are using today don't violate the volume or value standard, right? And they outlined this in an objective test they put in the final rule of CMS, right? And it's really, it amounts to two questions. The first question is, does a mathematical physician compensation formula exist that includes designated health service referrals or other business generated as a variable? So is DHS referral is that included in the compensation model as a variable, right? And if the answer to that question is yes, then does a physician's compensation increase or decrease based on a positive or negative correlation with physician's referrals or other business generated, right? So really with these two questions, CMS is indicating that what they're trying to do is stop any compensation arrangement that directly ties to the volume or value of a physician's referrals. Indirect ties such as collections-based or RVU-based formulas are not violations of this volume or value concept. And CMS is making that clear in the latest version of the Stark guidelines. Very good. You know, in fact, let's just keep going in the same theme. You know, we have a new definition of fair market value. And also you described how hospitals and health systems need to carefully consider certain unique facts and circumstances for their particular arrangements. Can you give our listeners a little more insight in how they should be structuring their compensation programs for their doctors? You know, CMS, again, they declined to provide safe harbors that kind of ground fair market value in the market surveys. You know, while they did that, they didn't say you should throw out surveys altogether, though, you know, for the 2021 editions of the surveys, right? You might want to, right? Because there's there's a lot of noise happening due to COVID and other factors. But in fact, you know, CMS stated that for many physicians, surveys might be the only tool you need in order to determine fair market value. The key factor that CMS is trying to drive home with these changes to fair market value in particular is that 
facts and circumstances matter. You need to consider those factors before determining kind of your compensation policies and how you're going to comply with, you know, fair market value and commercial reasonableness. And CMS gave, again, two examples to really illustrate this point, right? So they gave the example of an orthopedic surgeon where, you know, orthopedic surgery, median compensations may be $450,000, right? But if you have a set of facts and circumstances where this physician, this candidate that you're looking to recruit to the organization, is one of the top orthopedic surgeons in the country. He's highly sought after by professional athletes with knee injuries due to specialized techniques, high success rates, good outcomes. That physician might command significantly higher compensation than the run-of-the-mill orthopedic physician. I mean, their compensation might be reasonable or fair market value at, you know, excess of the 90th percentile. And then they gave the example of a family medicine physician at median compensation of 250. But if the organization is in a low cost of living area with good schools and other positive cost of living factors, you know, the organization has a poor payer mix and a tenuous economic position, right? All those facts that, you know, you might think, well, can we really afford to pay at a, a market competitive level? You know, CMS is saying fair market value might be less than the median in that case. So one of the other things that CMS did is they rebutted a common application of the surveys, say, stating that it really isn't their position, that compensation below the 75th percentile is always fair market value, and that compensation above the 75th percentile is always suspect. And there are valuation firms out there that we've come across that hold this belief as well, right? And we think CMS is really trying to, to squash those beliefs. And where we think the intentionality here is, right, is that in order to better set an organization up for success, organizations should really take a fresh look at their compliance policies to ensure that compensation arrangements are getting an appropriate level of review. So many organizations have internal thresholds that say, you know, hey, up to the 75th percentile is okay, or up to the 90th percentile is okay, and everything else really requires an outside fair market value opinion from a valuation firm. You know, what those organizations might want to do is institute further checks and balances to ensure that even if we're dealing with a compensation level that is between the 50th and 75th percentile, that that level of compensation is really only provided to, you know, physicians with high productivity or high quality outcomes or other performance metrics that support elevated levels of compensation. You know, many organizations, what we're seeing is they're using this as an opportunity to revamp their compensation plans to more closely tie to these concepts, right? Pay should be aligned with productivity, pay should be aligned with quality, and pay should be aligned with some of these other non-productivity-based factors that are good indicators of provider work effort and patient outcomes. So, you know, really what should organizations do in order to kind of align themselves with these new definitions of fair market value is, you know, again, evaluate your current structure and your current governance structure around provider compensation arrangements. Determine if there are any areas that maybe need to be tightened up, such as compensation between the median and 75th or 90th percentile without the supporting factors to support that level of compensation. And then again, consider whether your compensation plan structures will allow you to align with not only kind of the industries and the payers moves from volume to value, but also consistently with these evolving definitions of fair market value and reasonableness under Stark and any kickback. So I think this may be a good time to change a little bit of our focus. And that's because in recent years, commercial and government insurers 
have expanded payments to uh, practices associated with meeting value-based goals, such as improving quality or cost savings. The new Stark regulations and OIG anti-kickback statute addresses how physician compensation can be associated with value-based arrangements. Anthony, can you describe the key points to consider when establishing a physician compensation arrangement that takes in consideration payments for value-based initiatives? Any change from volume to value needs to be done in a meaningful and strategic way. And there are many different ways to accomplish this, right? If there was a there was a one-size-fits-all compensation model that worked for all organizations, you know, one, I'd probably be unemployed. <laughs> Two, you know, hopefully I would have found it by now. So organizations are really implementing value and quality in many different ways. But the main concept is that it used to be that there was one variable, productivity determined compensation, right? And now we're moving to more of a multivariable type of compensation arrangement where productivity and quality need to be the differentiating factors for compensation. You know, it used to be that if someone was producing at the 45th percentile, they'd get paid more than someone at the 55th percentile, right? But now, you know, you might have two providers who are producing at the 50th percentile, and now compensation should further differentiate based on high and low quality. So, you know, what we've seen is many organizations trying to say, well, how do we make this quality-based compensation structure work, right? If we have been paying $50 per RVU previously, that organization might say, well, we're going to pay $45 to $55 per RVU, and that's going to determine compensation, right? And the, the $10 difference between the high and the low of that range that's going to be paid out based on quality performance, right? Some other organizations provide a percentage of the shared savings dollars that are coming in or quality bonus that are received from the payers. Regardless of that process, regardless of how a compensation model is structured, one, organizations have some guidelines that they should follow to determine what is the appropriate level of quality payout for providers, right? And there's really, you know, we look at kind of six different rules that we think about when we say what really differentiates compensation. Value-based metrics or quality metrics need to be selected based on clinical evidence or credible medical support, right? It can't be something like hand-washing, right? It needs to be credible medical evidence. These metrics need to be selected, recognized as good quality metrics, right? So that's a starting point. These metrics should be based on objective or measurable data needs to be able to be, it not only needs to be a good metric, but it needs to be measurable. It needs to be reliable. Any payments for improvement in quality or improvement in cost containment should be rebased on an annual basis. Organizations should be cautious of compensation that's tied to maintenance goals. It needs compensation for value and providing top compensation for quality needs to really be focused on care improvement and making sure we're, you know, achieving healthcare's triple aim, right, of increasing value, increasing quality, increasing satisfaction, and reducing cost. If the physician agrees to take on meaningful downside risk in the value-based compensation plan, that can support higher levels of compensation consistent with, you know, again, what CMS is saying from a value-based risk perspective, similar to what organizations are seeing in their payer contracts today. Finally, organizations should consider including safeguards for quality and arrangements that are focused on cost savings, right? I know some some payers out there have incentives that health systems can earn that's tied to cost containment, but cost containment can't be 
at the sake of patients receiving good care, right? It has to be balanced. So if an organization wants to include some incentive in their compensation plan for cost savings, that metric should be balanced against making sure that the patients that a provider is responsible for are getting good outcomes as well. Yeah, I think good points. In fact, uh, to continue a little bit more drill down in this area, I know that the OIG uh, requirements uh, essentially basically said that you have to set aggregate compensation advance. Uh, if you do so, you have to require only the methodology be set in advance which now means you have the opportunity for more of an outcomes-based payment. Now, how can you structure a compensation plan so that if a physician reaches superior performance for a quality metric, he or she can earn a higher amount than if only a small improvement was achieved? What are some of your takeaways from the regulations that allow them to encourage compensation formulas that reward improving quality or cost savings? Previous iterations of the various exceptions and safe harbors required that the aggregate compensation level or amount must be set in advance in order to satisfy the rules under those exceptions, right? So key changes to the, I believe this is the professional services safe harbor under the anti-kickback statute and included in the new value-based safe harbors, right? Only require that the methodology of compensation be set in advance, right? So you know, these value-based arrangements are, they're moving, they're evolving, right? They're new. You know, we're, we're figuring out exactly what's, you know, what's good cost containment, what's good quality level, what's good productivity, right? How do those three blend together? So what this means is the parties to an arrangement now, they don't need to define the total aggregate compensation in advance, right? Which can be difficult with some of these value-based arrangements that require more fluidity and nimbleness, right? What I mean by that is, you know, hey, we're maybe building new metrics, right? Did we set those target levels appropriately? Do we set those payout levels appropriately or were our assumptions way off? In addition, right, some payer contracts pay back a level of shared savings to organizations, which is, you know, really difficult to truly define in advance. And I think organizations have been a little skittish and, and probably rightly so to include some of these new payment mechanisms or shared savings or, or any of those value-based payment arrangements in their physician compensation plans at the risk of being out of compliance. Now, you know, an organization can determine that methodology. Maybe it's physicians receive a percentage of shared savings generated through value-based contracts. Maybe it's, you know, more of a traditional diabetes management. And, you know, how do we make sure we're getting patients to be in compliance or have good uh, outcomes levels? You know, you can set those methodologies in advance and flex the payment as needed as that reimbursement pool grows or shrinks. So this really, these changes, I think, allow an organization to have more flexibility, have a better idea of whether or not, or a better idea for how they can be compliant, and then, you know, give them the flexibility to change and adapt more quickly, right? While compensation generally historically needed to be set in advance for at least a one-year period, these changes really allow organizations to adapt wherever is needed, as long as any new method, and even change methodologies, right? As long as any new methodology or new structure is only effective on a prospective basis, right? So I think really, you know, the takeaway for the changing from aggregate compensation and the methodology just gives organizations more flexibility to be nimble and make changes as the program evolves over time, as we're all still figuring out this new value-based world. 
if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And in fact, I think this concept of flexibility becomes very important to organizations that are trying to better align their physician compensation incentives to their missions. Now, traditionally, organizations basically relied on salary surveys as the basis for compensation. I think, you know, as you mentioned, this is still a core portion of setting fair market value. But can you give our listeners a little bit more insights on how a health system uh, should evaluate the surveys they use and some of the factors they need to put into consideration in using the data from national compensation surveys? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's probably one of my biggest work areas right now is working with organizations to really understand how to how to strategically use and maybe strategically not use surveys, right, in their compensation formulas. I mean, I think a move away from surveys is not advised, but really I think what organizations need to do is many have taken, you know, a set it and forget it approach to surveys, right? We tie to the national 50th percentile published compensation per work RVU rate in the MGMA survey. And that's how we're going to pay or, or pay our employed physicians for their productivity-based compensation, right? And what I believe CMS is intending here is that, you know, really this set it and forget it approach is not advised, right? Just there's a lot of nuances out there both within the surveys in normal years, right? And, you know, most recently in the 2021 edition of the survey with the COVID impact, in the mismatch of survey, you know, fee schedule versus the, you know, the new fee schedule that was in effect at the time. So really what I think the key takeaway here is that organizations really need to take the time to make sure they understand the surveys and kind of where they can be successfully implemented and where they can't. Many organizations, many people I talk to don't know that if you look at two different surveys, you might have two very different definitions of, you know, even something as basic as what is total cash compensation. Some surveys don't include call pay. Some surveys are total W-2 compensation. Some don't include admin. So really understanding what's included in the compensation surveys to make sure you're not overestimating fair market value compensation, right? That's one takeaway. You know, again, surveys can still be a guide when setting compensation, but determining, you know, how to interpret the surveys, where to place uh, physicians within a survey range is, you know, it's almost kind of more art than science in a way. You know, for most physicians, typical compensation formulas that are grounded in survey data is still market best practice, right? But again, as we think through the examples that CMS gave that we spoke about earlier, you know, the orthopedic surgeon, the family medicine physician, you know, organizations need to be mindful in their approach to compensation, understanding that, one, the surveys that we choose matter, right, and how we interpret them matter in making sure that we stay compliant, understanding when, you know, you might need to deviate from, you know, just a published median value, right? You know, if we have a good fact or a set of good facts for a particular physician, you know, maybe it's 90th plus percentile. If we have bad facts, maybe a comp ratio of the 25th percentile is all we can really reasonably do. So what I think organizations need to do is be mindful of surveys, right? There's a lot going on in the in 2021 and heading into 2022, right? We've got surveys affected by COVID. We've got the 2021 fee schedule and significantly inc increased RVU values for the same work effort, right? We've got all these factors. 
that if an organization isn't mindful of, you risk over or underpaying your physicians, right? And then you need to understand when it makes sense to over or underpay your physicians, again, based on facts and circumstances, right? Those are kind of the two main takeaways. But the only thing I would add to that is, you know, again, when those facts and circumstances do require an organization to really significantly deviate from typical survey usage, an organization should really understand and document those factors that they use to make that decision and consider getting an opinion from an outside third party just to make sure that your organization's, the facts and circumstances, the assumptions you're making when setting compensation levels are reasonable and kind of consistent with how evaluator might view it. You know, that's what the government's going to come in and look at, right? Is, is, are those assumptions? Is the compensation reasonable? Are those, you know, to the extent that we deviated from surveys, does that make sense, right? Was it appropriate to do in this case? Finally, organizations, you know, really should, like I said earlier, just consider your approach and your internal checks and balances on fair market value, right? And really just try to understand how do surveys fit into that? And, you know, what changes do we maybe need to make to make sure our compensation program is more compliant with these evolving regulations? Many practice leaders should be considering how to reevaluate their comp plans for their doctors and non and allied health professionals to ensure their plans are consistent with fair market value, but also shifting the incentives they have to help move their organizations along this volume to value curve. You know, by far, the most important thing an organization needs to understand is how is revenue coming into the system? In a fee-for-service world, that was easy, right? The more work physicians and allied health professionals do, the more revenue the organization gets to fund compensation, investments in the system, and other things. With multiple payers now focusing on adding value, improving quality, reducing cost, right? Organizations now have multiple drivers of revenue, and there's multiple different levers to pull in order to make sure, you know, that you're getting the same or better revenue than you've gotten historically. In order to set up a successful compensation plan, organizations really need to understand those drivers and set compensation in a way that aligns organization and provider behaviors to work together towards those outcomes. If an organization comes to me and says, hey, I want to move from volume to value, right? I want to put 30% of my provider's compensation at risk for quality and patient satisfaction and other factors with the rest being made up on productivity. If 30% of your revenue is coming from value-based contracts, great. But if you're still 98% fee-for-service, you know, that might have significant and, and significantly negative impacts on the organization, right? So really understanding how are we as an organization funded? What is our level, our mix of fee-for-service versus value? You know, what's our mix today? And what do we think our mix is going to be over the next couple of years? If our compensation model and our reimbursement model are out of line, that's the time to really consider are there changes that need to make. And understanding all of this is, is complex, right? Which I think is why many organizations turn to a firm like ours to help. You know, we regularly assess organizations for value-based readiness as they put more and more of their reimbursement at, at risk for value and other risk-based payer contracts. Based on where we are and kind of where we're headed, what compensation plan makes sense to align physician and organizational behaviors? Excellent, excellent comments. Uh, you know, there's much more we could talk about today. Is there anything else you'd like to add to today's discussion? 
The landscape is complex. And really the most important thing an organization should do is try to understand your current compliance system and how to better position it to be compliant in this new value-based world of healthcare. And you don't need to do that alone. Organizations like BMG, like other consulting firms can help think through the strategic side, you know, internal, external counsel can help position an organization to be compliant with these emerging regulations around Stark and anti-kickback and other federal fraud and abuse laws. Now is not the right time to do nothing, right? You really need to understand with all of these multitude of factors that are influencing both our reimbursement as health systems and compensation that we're paying to our physicians, it's really important to understand those factors and build and design and revamp your compensation plans, your policies, your governance structures to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success in the future. Excellent comment. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Anthony. Yep, thank you.